It's so damn hot. Milk was a bad choice. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. We're following Max on his way to the Tashi station to pick up some power converters in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 46, which begins with Max savoring a mouthful of cool, clear water, and it ends with the silhouette of a mysterious figure appearing over a dune. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. We are here at the beginning of this week. Last week you said, oh... This week coming up would be a perfect week for a guest, and guess what I did not get? A guest! Yep, we are solo for a second week in a row. I know in the past we've subjected our guests to minutes that are maybe a bit slower, a little light on the content, but I don't know, it just didn't seem right to invite someone along for, okay, what are we watching today? Oh, Max walking in the desert? Cool. Or rather the opposite of cool, because it's the desert, so it's hot. (laughs) Right. Nobody requests these minutes. They all want to talk about Thunderdome or the car chase at the end, the fun stuff. For most people, this isn't a fun part of the movie. Yeah. Besides, between you, me, and literally everybody listening, non-guest weeks are super easy to edit. So yeah, (laughs) they're fun to record, (laughs) not as fun to edit, but that's, you know, a little inside baseball talk. The important thing here is that we start off with Max. He's lying on his back. He's got a mouthful of water from that flask that Sally Ann brought him, and he's just lying there enjoying it while it lasts, I'd assume. We don't see this bottle of water again. We never see him drink from it again. I think when he collapses, I think you can see him clutching it to his chest. But if he collapses, it's obviously because he has run out of water. Yeah. Never again does it play a part. Not really. I would imagine that he probably took a big gulp initially, and then, for the sake of argument, we'll say he judiciously meted out the rest of the water, rationing it along the way until it was completely gone. At least that's what I'd like to believe. I would like to believe that too. I, in the past, and certainly in my head, I really do give Max a lot of credit for knowing how to survive Mm -hmm. in the wasteland. A big part of that being rationing your water. Another big part of that would be perhaps to not travel during the day. (laughs) And all of the research that I found on how to survive in the desert, what to do if you're lost, the traditions of Bedouin tribes, everybody said, don't travel during the day. Now, most people are like, yeah, just find yourself a cave to sleep in and then (laughs) Walk in like the early morning, late evening, or overnight hours. Max can't do that. There are no caves. There is no shade. Exactly. But he could find the shadow cast by a dune Mm -hmm. and lay there. It's a shame that those billowy fabric elements to his outfit don't form enough fabric to fashion a... A lean-to? A lean-to or a tent or something like that. He doesn't seem to be wearing enough... For him to fashion together a makeshift shadowy spot, (laughs) like a tent or something. Yeah. And thank goodness he is pretty much mostly covered. Right. Because the last thing you want to do is get sunburned. Yes. That'll give you heat stroke like nothing else. Yes. 
I found some other information about navigating in the desert. Mm -hmm. And I found this great article from a magazine, an online magazine called The National. And it's a Middle Eastern magazine that serves specifically the UAE. So this is the type of subject that's right up their alley. Okay. So it was called Desert Survival, Secrets of Ancient Bedouin Navigation. Hmm. So I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs rather than trying to interpret it. The sun rises from the east and sets in the west, says Salem Al-Kabi, a 60-year-old Emirati who traveled the desert a couple of decades ago. It helps to guide us during the day, and God made the stars available for us to navigate at night. Mr. Kabi used many different sources to find his way around the desert, including his own expert knowledge gleaned by years of traveling by camel and the natural environment. There is no such thing as left and right, he says. We tend to stay put during the day when temperatures are too high, and at night, the stars guide our track. When it comes to the stars, Ursa Major, the Great Bear, directs travelers to Polaris, the Northern Star. Alternatively, if Ursa Major is below the horizon, the constellation Cassiopeia will also point you to Polaris, says Sam McConnell, a desert guide and expedition leader in the Sinai and Jordan. Hmm. Instead of compasses, Bedouins used sand dunes that were shaped by the wind, which could provide valuable directions. Sand dunes form at 90 degrees to the prevailing wind, Mr. McConnell says. So if the prevailing wind is from the east, the dunes will run north to south. And there is a pretty fun website that I definitely lost some time on called windfinder.com. Windfinder.com. Yes. And you just... Put in where in the world you want to go, and it will show you the wind. Huh. Yes. They do it in three-hour intervals over, like, a week. So they don't have, like, a ton of historical information, but pretty much what's current. I looked through the range of time available for the Cooper Pedy area, and for the most part, the wind comes from the south and heads north. Okay. Traveling during the day, he could have used the dunes to point him north. And at night, I'd like to think that Max, with his level of experience in the wasteland, would know to look for Polaris and know how to find it and how to use other stars to find it. Yeah, I'd be very disappointed if Max didn't know how to find north without a compass. Yeah. And I figure the guy he got the whistle from probably taught him that as well. Yeah. Celestial navigation. Yeah, we see a lot of Max walking in this minute. We fade to him trudging along the top of a sand dune. We fade to him walking away from the camera down a dune and whatnot. Him walking along the top of the sand dune actually reminded me of a scene from another movie. It was called Flight of the Phoenix from 2004. That movie was actually a remake from a 1964 movie called The Flight of the Phoenix, which itself was based on a book from that same year by Elliston Trevor. So in the 2004 remake, you've got a bunch of people, they're on a plane flying flying over the desert. The plane gets hit by a sandstorm. They crash. They're stuck in the middle of the desert. One of the survivors gets up in the middle of the night, needs to relieve himself, wanders out of camp, wanders up over the top of a dune, and then the wind picks up. He falls off the dune, gets lost, and then just winds up half buried in the sand, sandblasted down to the bone. It's crazy. Oh my gosh, but that is Ma- crazy. But Max walking along the top of this dune reminded me of that one scene where the guy just got blown off the top of a dune. And those dunes can get tall. Oh, yes. There's a lot of sand piling up. 
with the how much wind is blowing through the desert there. So I went online and I was looking at the different dangers of the desert. And one of the posts that I found wasn't related to danger. It was someone asking about, hey, I want to go into the desert at night and do some photography. What are some suggestions? And a lot of people were saying, even if it's a full moon, even if there's great visibility, bring a light source. Because when you've got large shifting dunes, you want to know when you're getting close to the edge. Yeah, one of the prevailing themes in my research was getting lost Mm -hmm. or even being out in the desert just isn't like being anywhere else. (laughs) It has very unique and specific dangers and things that'll help you survive. It's very unique. Speaking of surviving in the desert, a big thing that I focused on as I was researching for this episode, because there was more or less nothing but walking, was this whole idea of how do you die in the desert? I found one article that was actually really surprising that an alarming amount of people actually drown in the desert, specifically because of flash floods. Weather systems move into the desert, drop a ton of rain really quickly, land can't absorb it, flash floods start wash people away. But they don't just wash people away, they also drown people that are caught in quicksand. And then of course there are people that fall off of a high dune, they're hurt, they can't get away from floodwaters, and then boom, they're just gone. But the one that we mostly think of where dying in the desert is concerned is of course the dehydration and heat-related death, which as we see Max just trudging along under the bright sun until he eventually collapses. We can assume this is what he's going through. So the article I found was from popsci.com, an article about dehydration, death, thirst, water. (laughs) They start off by saying that water makes up about 55 to 65% of your body. We are more or less complicated water bottles. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that type of thing. Yeah. But it just goes to show you that water is such a crucial ingredient in our chemistry and it helps us think, it helps our blood move, it helps the muscles contract and relax. When you sweat out in the desert, when you get dehydrated, it's going to alter all of those functions. And so they said there's basically four steps or stages that your body goes through as it loses water that will eventually result in death. Death is actually stage four, but I'll get to that in good time. (laughs) The first stage of dying of thirst is just that, thirst. When you're in that first stage, you've lost probably about 2% of your body water. So for a 170 imperial pound person, that's roughly three pounds of water, which you can lose by, you know, kickboxing for an hour in a hot room without a drink. You know, strenuous exercise type of thing. At that rate, thirst kicks in, your body clings to all the remaining moisture in your body, your kidneys send less water to your bladder, it darkens your urine, you sweat less, your body temperature rises, your blood becomes thicker and sluggish to maintain oxygen level, and your heart rate increases. So if you're ever out running or exercising at the gym or something like that, and you haven't had a drink of water in a long time, it can actually get harder to work out the longer you go without water, especially if it's really warm. That's stage one. If you progress to stage two, that's the fainting stage, which I think Max comes up pretty close against here. Thirst kicks in around 2%, fainting kicks in around 4% of body weight lost. So when you've roughly lost seven pounds of water, that's equivalent to riding a bike for three hours in extreme heat without rehydrating or going without water for two days. Huh. Yep. When you reach that point, 
your blood is going to become concentrated and it's going to result in decreased blood flow that will make your skin shrivel. Your blood pressure drops, making you prone to fainting, and you've basically stopped sweating. And without that coolant, you start to actually overheat. It seems really easy to get to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know I certainly have days where I don't drink no water, but I drink very little water. Yeah. Or you could drink something that you believe is a water substitute, but actually isn't. No. We have a friend of ours who actually got in a lot of trouble because he considered coffee and wine good substitutes for water. They were not. <laughs> and he ended up in the emergency room. They had to put an IV in his arm to rehydrate him because he got to that point where fainting was something that he had to deal with. If you continue to lose water weight, you go into stage three, which is straight up organ damage. At 7% of body weight lost, so that's about 12 pounds, for a 170-pound person, you can lose that much sweat during a session of hot yoga for eight hours without rehydrating. Whoa. So at that point, 7% lost. Your body is having trouble maintaining blood pressure. To survive, it slows blood to non-vital organs, such as your kidneys and gut, causing damage. Without your kidneys filtering your blood, cellular waste quickly builds up and you're literally dying for a glass of water. <laughs> By the time you've lost 10% of your body weight, which in the grand scheme of things doesn't sound like a lot, but for this hypothetical person I've been talking about, that's 17 pounds of water, which is a lot. Which is approximately two gallons. Mm -hmm. It's essentially the equivalent of going for five days or running for 11 hours in 90 degree weather without rehydrating, which I feel like the normal person is more likely to go five days without water than run for 11 hours in 90 degree weather. Fahrenheit, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so once you've reached that step, you need to drink some water as soon as possible. If it's hot out, your uncontrollable body temperature means your vital organs risk overheating. Liver failure will probably kill you, but if conditions are mild, toxic sludge builds up in your blood and your coroner's report will more likely read kidney failure. Just the word sludge and blood in the same sentence is unsavory yeah well i mean that's why you need your kidneys they gotta yes. clean your blood because as it moves around it picks up gunk <laughs> and the kidneys clear that stuff out that's why kidney transplants are so important yes so like i said max is probably in that four to seven percent water lost stage somewhere between two and three because as he gets to what is essentially the middle of this minute, he just starts to collapse. As he's walking around, I'm thinking about this, I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a destination in mind. All he really knows is that where he's currently at, there's no water, and so in order to get to water, he needs to go somewhere else. I know that Max's head was covered as the horse was walking away, and so he is completely disoriented, but I don't know, just walking aimlessly just seems so foolish, and... A little bit unnecessary. I, I, if I were in his place, I wouldn't know how. I wouldn't know how to navigate by the stars. I wouldn't know how to navigate by the wind or the dunes. I wouldn't know those things. Max should know those things. He should be able to make a best guess at which way to go. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he did make a best guess. I say that it's unlikely that he had a destination in mind, but 
you know, he could have. The trouble is, he wasn't sent out in the same direction that he arrived in Barter Town from. There's no reason for us to believe that he's personally tread every inch of Australia at this point. So, <laughs> honestly, at this point, it's stay put, remain overheating, or try and get out of the current situation. I feel like he's just at that point where all he can do is walk, so that's what he's going to do. It's actually a remarkably similar situation to the one that we saw him in, and I say him, I mean Mel Gibson in, in the movie Gallipoli, when he was hanging out with Archie in the desert as they were making their way to Perth. That's right. They just kept walking forward. Yep. The only difference there is that they actually had a destination in mind. Yes, they did. They knew which direction to go. They just... Uh, didn't get there fast enough. And of course, this time Max's only companion is a monkey and not some kid. Right, who also has experience being in the outback. Right. So I was looking at the storybook version of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. This is a old version of, I guess, a simplified novelization. I found it on a website called futurofinale2088.blogspot.com. I can post a link in the listener page and so people can check that out. But I like it because it's kind of a dumbed down version of the novelization. Plus, there's a lot of pictures. And so it makes it really easy to make a connection between characters. Be like, hey, they've mentioned this character and here's a picture of this character. So it's really easy to identify people, especially like the waiting ones. But they said in that version that Max wandered for multiple days like he's doing here. And given the fades that George Miller used to show Max's wandering, it makes sense to me. That does make a lot of sense, especially since he has a water bottle. That it wasn't large, but it would get him through a day. He wouldn't faint in one single day. Right. That would take him two days, maybe three days to actually faint. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Eventually... And I know I might have spoiled this by saying it earlier in the episode, but eventually Max just full on collapses face first into the ground. All I can say <laughs> is that I really hope that he did not land right on top of Sally Ann, because in all of these wandering shots, Sally Ann is curled up inside Max's jacket. And so I'm hoping that as he falls forward, that his left arm is positioned in such a way that it keeps Sally Ann from getting squished. Because it would be, it would be very unpleasant for her if that was the case. Okay, I forgot about the monkey. If Sally Ann was intelligent directionally enough to find him in the first place, why didn't she lead him to safety if she's so smart? I don't know. I imagine she was probably just as tired. In the picture book that I was reading, they talk about how Max started off with Sally Ann curled up in his jacket, but then... After a while, he just kind of slung her over his back, kind of like one of those Yoda backpack situations where she was just hanging out back there. And when they talk about her pretending to be a backpack, that's when Max falls over onto his face. So the monkey is fine, I assume. Okay. Considering that we see her later on, I'm, yeah, she's yeah. fine. We actually get a fade to a bit wider shot, like some dust clouds blow across Max. And then when we see him next, we're a little bit further out and the sand is starting to cover him up. Interesting difference between the initial shot of him falling over and the wider shot is that his left arm, instead of being tucked underneath him, is now spread out to his side. So he shifted somewhere between collapsing and getting to the point where sand is covering him. So he must have moved a little bit. 
I would like to think that Sally Ann got out of his jacket and started scurrying around or making noise or something like that while Max was just lying there unconscious. I don't know. If Max is in the fainting stage, what stage must Sally Ann be at? It's a good point. I just like to think of her attracting the attention of the figure that we're about to see coming over this dune. At the tail end of this minute, we're talking like last eight seconds. It's more or less nighttime. There's a light coming up over a dune and then a figure starts to walk up over the top of the dune. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their deal is or why they're just stumbling upon Max. I'm sure it's all a big coincidence, but we're going to have to wait until Wednesday's minute to figure out what's going on here. So that's what we'll do. So come back on Wednesday. We're going to see this new person find Max more or less half buried in the sand and then decide that he's worth dragging out of the desert. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for a minute 46 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody say-